everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Spilling the Tea on GovCon. I'm Teresa Moon, Director of Business Development for Parabolis. We provide a better financial partnership for government contractors that includes a line of credit to fund your growth. The purpose of this podcast is to assist small businesses with success in the federal marketplace by introducing them to industry expert, experts and resources that they may not otherwise know about. Today's guest is Ben Stinson. He's the founder and president of Fed Sherpas. They help businesses do business with the federal government. I was lucky enough to meet Ben through our mutual friend, the amazing guy Timberlake. I talk about him often on this program, so I'm sure most people who stay tuned are laughing. Um, I owe a lot of gratitude to him for connecting me with the very finest people in this industry. And Ben, you are for sure one of them. So welcome. Thank you very much, Teresa. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So if you would please share a little bit more insight into your background and your expertise and some of the details about the services Fed Sherpa provides. Sure. Thank you very much. So Fed Sherpas is me being able to give my experience to my clients from my 20, almost 25 years in defense systems acquisition. Spent 27 years, over 27 years as a Marine, and uh, more than 20 of those years was spent as a program manager or in program management. We'll talk a little bit more, maybe on a podcast, of the difference between a project officer, a program manager, and a portfolio manager. But I got to do all those roles uh, when I was in, in DOD. I worked for uh, three years in industry as well, uh, doing business development, uh, as well as the CIO for a cyber company. And so Fed Sherpas. Uh, uses the, all of that experience for our clients. We like to say that we, uh, we know the way to success and we help carry the load. So we're consultants who do, not just consultants that tell you what to go do. That's awesome. And there's a clear distinction in that, uh, which I think most people understand. But uh, we're going to get into some uh, pretty extensive information here. And I love that the way that you break down information. I've been in several um, events with you when you've talked to groups of growing businesses and, and growing government contractors who might not necessarily really know how to navigate and how to speak to the different people within that system of doing business. And you do a great job of, of giving guidance in that respect. And I love that. And so Thank let's you. dive right into your particular expertise. Most people know that program managers care about cost, schedule, and performance. And so two parts. So is that part true? And what else do they care about? Yes, thank you, Teresa. I appreciate that. Um, a lot of people think of contracting officers when they think of doing business with the government. And they're certainly very important. But the program manager has a role to shepherd that program to meet its goals. Um, where I worked in DOD, it's very um, uh, there's a deliverable at the end, like a vehicle, like a technology, uh, some capability delivered to the government. Um, there are other program managers who oversee more esoteric things, like we have a goal to increase this amount of people starting businesses, or we have a goal to uh, decrease um, you know, the outbreaks of a certain disease or something. That's not really a thing that's being delivered at the end, but they all care about cost, schedule, and performance because they're all, the program is built to requirements. So the book answer, like you said, is cost, schedule, and performance, but they're not all equal, okay? And so the first thing we'll say is no program manager can deliver all of what the user wants. Remember, the program manager is not the end user. The program manager is distilling those end user requirements 
into the way that the agency ingests it for requirements <clears throat> for their budget, right? And there's always a schedule because people want to know when am I getting the thing that I need? Mm -hmm. So um, most experienced program managers will say all day long, I can give you one of those. Sometimes I can give you two of those. Pick two, pick two that you want to optimize for. And, and I don't know any program manager who will sign up for all three of those. I'll give you cost, schedule, and performance. It's usually an amount of trade. Mm -hmm. So what, you, what your job as a prospective client of the federal government and of that future program is to find out what they're optimized for. So if it's a budget-conscious agency or it's a lower-priority program, you can be rest assured that the program manager is really optimizing the program for cost. If this is something like in the DOD, like in Ukraine right now, <laughs> stuff is happening fast. There is a uh, prioritization of budget mm -hmm. and there is a penalty for schedule, meaning we can't be late with these things. So they will optimize the program for performance or schedule which means cost is less of a concern, which means they will entertain higher bids. Okay. So, so that's, that's so among those, they're not equal. Right, right. So that that's, I mean, great information there. And I, I think as people are gearing up to have these conversations with, uh, you know, different divisions or different responsibilities for as it pertains to a contract opportunity, I think that the, the detail that you've given is great because it'll allow them to know what, what types of conversations to be having with who and when. And so prioritization of uh, the actual opportunity itself is going to take precedence over what we as the, or, or the, the businesses are most concerned with. So I think having that in their fore, forethought will help with their, their ability to communicate that. And it's fair to ask. It's fair to ask them if they don't tell you, what is your priority on this program? Cost? Mm -hmm or performance, or are you trying to be, you know, sensitive towards, towards where do you have room in one of them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if it comes out LPTA, you know, if there's no room in cost, so, so right. you know, uh, that, so they're optimizing for cost. That's why they're doing it. But right. there are other things besides cost, schedule, and performance that program managers care about. Program managers on the government side work in agencies. Mm -hmm. Agencies always have priorities, there's an agenda that's put out by the leadership of that agency and those sub-agencies. So in the military, there's lots of large commands. So even these two-star, three-star generals or these political appointees will have priorities for their agency. Now think about the largest priorities right now coming out from this administration, electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Huge priority. Changed a lot of vehicle programs and program managers are having to react to it. Climate change priorities, right? Even mm -hmm. the Department of Defense is tasked with climate change initiatives. So program managers who aren't even responsible for the climate change program are now finding themselves responsible for contributing to that. So if you had, for instance, the vehicle program, whether you're tactical vehicles or you're renting, the, you're the program manager who gets all the vehicles for rent for the agency, mm -hmm. the prioritization now is on electric vehicles. How does your plan have electric vehicles in it. So that's going to change some of the prioritization of the requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and those things usually do get more money when they're higher priorities of the mm -hmm. agency. 
Another thing that program managers care about is their portfolio priorities. A program manager, almost by definition, is managing multiple things underneath that include, most programs are multidimensional. Mm -hmm. They have multiple aspects. In DOD, the intelligence program manager will manage multiple intelligence programs or projects. Some services call the larger thing the project and the lower ones the programs. Some have it reversed. I know it's just to confuse all of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but they have to, they, they, and, and so the key there is the budget is for the higher, the higher level, whether it's project for the army or program for the other services. Those other programs share those budgets. And so when agency priorities or user priorities or program managers priorities change, some of those dollars are fungible between the sub budgets. And so your program may be affected because somebody else's program either got more uh, prioritization or maybe it failed a test mm -hmm. and they have to pay for a new test. Where are they getting the money for right. that new test this year out of this year's budget? Well, guess what? It's probably gonna come out of a, an adjacent program in that budget. And then the last thing we'll talk about here today is risk. Program managers care about risk and risk is spread throughout cost schedule and mm -hmm. performance. And risk is introduced by changes in priority. Oh, wow. So you mentioned about uh, program managers caring about risk. How would a bidder include risk management into their proposals? So the program manager is looking at risk in multiple ways. The program manager, by the way, is grading you on your understanding of risk because we're sharing the risk. When we enter into that to that contract, right, mm -hmm. we're sharing the risk of the program because the, the, the contractor is helping deliver part of the capability. So the program manager, from the time you walk in the door to the time you're, well, beyond after you awarded the contract, the program manager is going to manage the risk. So be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. um, when you walk in the door, if you're not willing on some of those office calls or some of those industry days when you meet with them. You need to be able to talk to the known risk items, either of the technology or of that area. Uh, maybe there's risk uh, affiliated with delivery of that program. For, for IT, it's not just technology. There's risk in unfilled billets. I had a huge risk when I was the enterprise IT portfolio manager for the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. We had a 1,200 person, 1,200 FTE contract for help desk. Wow. We only ever had it filled usually by 80%. So one of the risk items that we cared about when we recompeted it was what is this new contractor going to do to make sure that they have people there to answer the calls of our, of our agency when we have problems with IT? Mm -hmm. So you have to tell them that you're thinking about the risk. You have to wrestle with the problem with them, if you show up and say, I understand your problem completely, here's the easy button, it's almost never that easy. If it was easy, it'd be an LPTA and they'd just be buying TVs for the lowest price, right? right. So, so it's not that way. Don't walk in as a hammer salesman and tell them their problem is a nail. Yeah. I mean, if it were only that simple, right? And so I think you've pointed out some of the nuances of things to keep in mind as it pertains to risk and being able to give an explanation as to how you've managed that in your proposal, I think is, is super important. And, I, and I'm not so sure that a lot, especially of the newer contractors, really know how much detail goes into this. I think they just 
they they think they're going to go on, you know, Sam.gov and they're going to find an opportunity and they're going to send in information and tell everyone how great they are. And then it, it results in a contract win. And it's just not that simple. And so I, I love I love how you're breaking this down. And, and hopefully uh, people who don't know already know how to do that will reach out to you for assistance with that, because we're going to get an even deeper here. And we're going to go with one of these uh, great acronyms that that there's so many of, especially within the DOD. But this in particular, I think, is a, is a great point of interest for, for our network. So I want you to discuss a little bit about CPARs. Um, if I'm new to government contracting, how do I learn more about CPARs? Well, uh, fortunately, the website's very easy. It, it's an HTTPS website. You have the colon and the slash slash after that. And then you just type in CPARs, C-P-A-R-S dot gov. And that will lead you to the site. Now it's managed by a Navy activity. They're the ones who kind of got the pin the tail on the donkey kind of thing. They're, they're the, the single government agency for DOD that's responsible for this, for those who use CPARs. So not everyone uses CPARs. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, DOD uses it heavily. So one of the things that can be risky, especially to the government. Now you have to, most people understand this doing business with the government is, can be labor intensive, can be bureaucratic, and there's a, a uh, risk aversion, okay? Just, just plain and simple, it's, it's been known, it's studied. It's, there's a risk aversion in the government, in those spaces, DOD included. So what makes a program manager feel like there's more risk is not knowing how well a contractor has performed a similar activity. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole reason that we ask for past performance in the proposal is to understand risk. The technical volume actually is assessed with risk, right? You can propose a really good, really innovative way to do something for the government to fulfill their need, but they may classify it as high risk because it's never been done, they don't see it, you've never done that in your technology, your past performance doesn't articulate it. So you need to make sure you understand CPARs and how you're being graded if you have past performance. But most importantly for the new companies out there that you talked about, you need to know from the start how to build and manage your CPARS report card. Mm -hmm. You always have the opportunity to reclama or to counter back if there's something in your CPARS proposal that isn't as flattering as you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Don't just look for, they gave me a C when I think I got a B. There's that. But you also want to make sure that the right contract is put in there for right. CPARs. They're referencing the correct contract. They're referencing the correct scope, right? They may leave out some scope that won't include what you do. Um, so there's training at that site for you and your role. So there's government training on the government side, and then there's contractor training for those that you have that you've appointed to be your compliance officer or the person who manages what's out there in the government space on your CPARs. But they are looked at. Anyone with performance in a certain area with a scope of similar size always, in the program manager's eyes, has less risk. As long as they did it well, they go to CPARs. CPARs always lack. That's a known problem. Do what you can. And if, if there was a all things being equal and I see somebody CPAR ratings and they like they're on a contract now. And the last thing was a couple months ago in there versus somebody else who CPARs is a year old or longer. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go with the most current because it's the lowest risk. Well, that makes sense. And, and given the fact that it's essentially a, a list of your, your score, it's like your scorecard that they can go and check. You want to have your most recent experience on there so they know that you're actively still doing what you say you do and not that you've skipped on to something else or that you've had a, a you know mishap and you don't do it anymore, but yet, yet you're still going after those contract opportunities. So obviously we want the best information to be conveyed in your past performance history, but there's always there's always those occasions. And so it's good to know that you can go in there and go back and, and give, you know, if, if nothing else, a little bit of an explanation of why the lower scores might be the way that they are. But I, I wasn't even aware that you could do that as well. So that's, that's good to know. Cause there's actually something else to tell you here real quick too. <laughs> there's places where negative information perceived negative information, but, Oh, we can't tell them that that's, that's going to increase risk. No, actually. So in the CPARs, negative information is bad. You don't want that there. You want to keep a good, clean, high rating. It's a, there's a purple score to it. It's really not actually A, B, C, D, but it's it's like outstanding and good and excellent and average and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, qualitative assessment, I think is what it's called. But, but there is a place for you to demonstrate your understanding of risk in your proposal. And you may not even think that this is a good thing. But I have seen it successfully used both when I was in the government and in industry, when you talk about a failure you had, whether it was on a previous contract, but you corrected it, or if you're doing something in R&D, you you have a lab, you do research, Mm -hmm. it's okay to talk about the 325 times you didn't get a light bulb to work, but like Edison, it was, it was the it was 300 and some tries before we got that light bulb. Government likes to see where industry is honest about where the risks are, mm-hmm. what they're going to do about it. And the, the best score possible, I think, as a program manager, is that you say, yeah, we've stepped in that risk. We felt it full force. Here's what we learned about that risk and how to avoid it in the future. We've put mm-hmm. these processes in place, or we now do this uh, piece in our process that's different, or we use this tool now, or we know that these aren't methods that are effective. You pr- maybe they proposed that method that you know failed on a previous contract. Mm-hmm. It failed over here, I and mean, it took us you know two months to get on back track with this other customer, but we did, and we're very successful now. They're a reference for us. Please talk to them and go do it this way, and we think that it's lower risk. Right. And I, and I love the idea of that too, especially as it pertains to technology. We've got, you know, there's advancements happening every second, right? And if you don't admit to the fact that they're the level of failure, it actually contributes to the success, overall success. And so if you avoid talking about it, it's just being naive to it and thinking that to your point about Edison, right? I mean, we didn't get the light bulb on the first try. So I, yeah. I think that that's, that's a great point. The, the government is doing agile methods now in many cases Mm -hmm. i would i would make sure you know about the receptiveness to agile you'll usually know if that government agency is using because there'll be things already out uh or or the your own proposal will say this one's going to implement agile or devsecops Mm -hmm. in that case it's very good to say how quickly you find the failures because that means they're not spending money on time time is money you're not spending money trying to fix something that can't or not recognizing that something needs to be fixed. You found the risk, you found, move to something else. And Mm -hmm. so if you have those abilities, if you have agile development, if you have DevSecOps, 
that's a fail fast mentality, mm-hmm. articulate that. The government is open to that now. They'll tell you if they are. Right. Well, that's great insight. And I think proves even more of why a lot of people that are listening to us today need to reach out to you for your expertise because you've been on the inside of it and you've sat in that seat before. And so you know how to speak to these um, subjects as and, and can really help these these government contractors get the opportunities that are be- they're best suited for, but do it the right way. So they're not spinning their wheels or giving information that isn't necessary or not giving enough information. Um, so I'm so glad that you were able to break down because there's, there's a lot to unpack here, right? And good news is we'll be able to bring you back on again so you can talk in more detail about some of the other topics that we had spoken about to per- perhaps bring out today. But that just makes me happy that I- I'll have to have you back on again. So I would um, be happy I- to. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And so um, what I'd like to you to do, though, is share with us in the coming months where we might be able to find you. Are you headed to any conferences? Are you doing any webinars? What do you have going on? Uh, I am probably getting down to CDCA mm-hmm. in Charleston. That's a great conference for uh, folks looking to break into the federal government. They do a good job of their industry forecasting, and they will be presenting that. That's NYWIC Lant. So that's a Navy Engineering Command. Mm-hmm. I just got back from an EOD uh, and IED symposium. Uh, there was a much smaller event, and there's some interesting things going on there, as you can imagine, with the world situation with Ukraine. Right. Um, and then AUSA was a was a great event coming up uh, that just that just happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I know I'm going to be doing a few more podcasts with Guy Timberlake. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, we'll, we'll put those things out when they're out there. But the next big target for me is uh, is the uh, CDCA conference down in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, that's great. And we'll, we'll definitely share out um, in the coming months any of the presentations that you might be a part of or any events that you might be headed to, because we definitely want people to connect with you in person if they're able to, um, and really hear your insight and expertise. Um, super impactful. I, I had a panel, had, was lucky enough to have you at a panel discussion at Parabolas and um, the level of interaction that the audience was able to to have with you, I think, is even more than just hearing the information. It's being able to ask real time questions too that are mm-hmm. super impactful, and you're you're great at that. And so, I really encourage people to attend where you are to be able to chat with you personally as well. So, um, I always like to at the end ask for some best tips, uh, words of wisdom that you can impart to our listenership. Well, I think we kind of already talked about it, but I want to highlight it. Um, the one of the best practices submitting your proposal to the government uh people hear about um color teams right there's a red team and a black team and the pink team and and all these Mm -hmm. things um but think about it like so the black team is actually thinking about what your competition how your competition is scoring you but the government grades your proposal uh, in some sort of process called an SSEB, a source selection evaluation board. Um, and one of the things you can do is have a mock source selection evaluation board. It gives a different look from the color teams. Um, you know, the color teams are, are making sure that you have the right requirements in there, making sure that you answered all the shalls mm-hmm. in the proposals. Um, but but uh, there are many folks like myself who were in the government, were on those source selection evaluation boards, and they can add a level of insight to your proposal that kind of blends the colors across 
in a way I think might be more meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's not for every solicitation. It's not for some of the smaller ones. Um, but some of the larger ones, uh, it's good to find people who were in that space in the government who are out now. Um, you need usually at least two, so you get two points of view, but obviously the more points of view, the better. Mm -hmm. And then you iterate on your proposal with them, sometimes sending it back to red, sometimes going through the white or you know, doing a gold review or just that final freshening of it with that new insight to see, do your ideas stand out? Did they address risk? Are you thinking truly like the government evaluators are going to think when they pick you? That's great. And even more reason why people need to seek you out, because if you didn't already know that, he can help you. And I, I super appreciate you being here and, and sharing. Um, you know, your expertise is something that is is so useful, especially to the to the newer and the growings. And so I encourage my network to reach out to you. And on top of it, you're a great person. And I want to get into it next time, which some of your your hobbies are, which are super interesting as well. So that was That'd on my agenda for today. But I, I want to get into that because I want people to know how interesting you are, not just for your expertise, but for your your extracurricular hobbies as well are really cool. Let's, let's get people who drink wine interested in following Parabolas. Oh, yes. I love that's it. Not and small, that's not a small amount of people in Virginia, is it? Absolutely not. And, and I'm the first to sign up. And so um, I just, I'm, I'm very appreciative for your time and I'm encouraging everyone in our community, please reach out to Ben and his team to assist you in being successful in doing business with the federal government. We're also grateful for all of the continued support from all of you for staying tuned in. And we'd love it if you check out our YouTube channel by the same name, where you can find the archives of our past episodes. So you don't miss out on the many resources we've shared this year. So thank you, Ben, for being here. Thank you all for listening. I'm Teresa Moon, and this has been another episode of Spilling the Tea on GovCon. Have a great day.